Walt, I've said it before. If you are in danger, we go to the police. Oh, no, I don't want to hear about the I police. I do not say that lightly. I know what it could do to this family, but if it's the only real choice we have, if it's either that no. or you getting shot when you open your I don't front want door, to hear about the you're police. not some hardened criminal, Walt. You are in over your head. No. That's what we tell them. That's the truth. That no, is not the truth. Of course it is. School teacher, cancer, desperate for money. Okay, we're done here. Roped into working for, unable to even quit. You told me that yourself, Walt. Jesus, what was I thinking? Walt, please, let's both of us stop trying to justify this whole thing and admit you're in danger. Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome back to Who and Company. This is Brent. And this is Drew. We are recording this intro live at the Raleigh Galaxy Con, where we are about to meet David Tennant. David Tennant is not our guest this month, but we do have another regular star of Doctor Who as our July guest. Yes, this month we have Doctor Who monster man John Davey with us, discussing all the many roles he's played since 2006, his love of photography, and some behind-the-scenes stories of Doctor Who. Then we celebrate his pick of the month, the incredible Emmy Award-winning drama Breaking Bad, for which we will be spoiling quite a bit, so you have been warned. Very heavily. And that's coming up right after this. Look, when you, uh, when you started this thing, did you ever dream of having $5 million? I know for a fact that you didn't. I know for a fact all you needed was 737000 because you worked it all out, like, mathematically. Look, it's selling the math of me now means that no one else ever gets killed, then I vote for that, man, hands down. And we could have it tomorrow. We would be out. You could spend time with your family, no more worrying about them getting hurt or finding out about everything. Isn't this what you've been working for? I have not been working this hard just to sell out. It's not selling out. Yes, it is, Jesse. I, we have suffered and bled literally for this business. And I will not throw it away for nothing. For the last 15 years, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you've no doubt seen this month's guest, whether you saw his face or not. Joining us today is an accomplished actor, photographer, and Doctor Who monster man. It's John Davey. Welcome to Who and Company. Oh, thank you very much for having me uh, on here. Um, it's, uh, yeah, 10 to midnight in the UK at the moment, but oh, wow. um, <laughs> I've had a very relaxing evening. I didn't really do too much. I put the TV on and Godfather 2 was on, so I've just uh, watched that and, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it and just realised that um, uh, how good uh, that film actually is. Well, <laughs> I already knew it was that good, but, you know, just sort of reaffirming what I already knew. Which film? Uh, Godfather 2. It is a good one. Uh, you know, I always heard uh, wonderful things about both of the Godfathers uh, and knew that the third one was coming out. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to watch both of these in one day. So I watched The Godfather, immediately followed by Godfather 2, then drove to the cinema to watch Godfather 3. So I watched all three of them in one day. Wow. Uh, that experience was less than perfect, but <laughs> yeah. um, at I least saw- I got... 
two Godfathers out of it that I enjoyed. Yeah, I, I did actually see the third one in the cinema, and I haven't actually seen it since. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure how it holds up. Brent, are you a Godfather fan? Um, yeah, mostly my dad is, and so I've seen it a couple times with him. And in fact, uh, him and I went to the cinema to see part three also. And I didn't watch that one again until maybe a year ago when I bought the Blu-ray set that had all three. Right. Mm. Um, I still don't remember watching the third one last year. <laughs> so it must not stand. The only thing that stands out is him in the chair dropping the apple on the ground. That's really right. all I remember. Yeah. I feel like someone in a priest outfit falls a really long way. But Yeah, I, I can remember people hanging from like a... Uh, telegraph pole or a light or something like that well if you're joining us now uh welcome to our uh, godfather <laughs> recap podcast We're yeah very uh, vague <laughs> <laughs> so uh john we hear you're going for the record for most characters in doctor who so tell us about that um well it would be nice um uh, uh to uh, I can't even remember the exact thing, but no, basically um, how this all started was I went to a Comic-Con in Sunderland, I think, in the north of England, and somebody came up to me and they said, oh, you should be in the Guinness Book of Records for the most episodes that you've been in. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really nice of you, but obviously John Scott Martin has been in way more episodes and obviously uh, lots of the doctors but then uh, kind of got me thinking about yeah the, the the most characters so i think at the moment it's around about 30 so um yeah so if i if if i and also the uh, the program you know still lasts and still keeps going then um then that might be um, a nice little uh, string to my bow. In fact, I actually had to um, uh, double-check it with someone because I wasn't really au fait with who's done what in Doctor Who. So um, I sent a message to uh, Toby Haydock, which is kind of the uh, the font of all knowledge of yes, Doctor absolutely. Who. absolutely. Uh, and he came back to me quite quickly and said that um, the, uh, the actor... Uh, Patrick Gorman or Pat Gorman uh, I think it had been uh, 34 different characters um, so that kind of gave me a benchmark and I, I think um, quite famously he and I can't remember which episode but basically he actually killed himself he was a unit soldier and a cyberman in the same scene so uh, so that's <laughs> that's a, a pretty cool little uh, little thing to have oh I mean that sounds like a perfect perfect goal for you to to try to achieve you know yeah and yeah if, can you play can you play more than two characters in a single episode i think next time next time you're up for a role you go listen i, I appreciate this part but could you throw in i don't know like two more in the exact same scene just to <laughs> see if we can work well i have i've actually appeared twice in the same scene uh this was in day of the doctor so the uh, the scene where the Doctor and Clara walks into the uh, the gallery where you got the big uh, the big painting of uh, of um, David's Doctor. Um, if you actually watch that scene, there's two unit soldiers guarding the outside of the gallery, and then immediately the camera flicks uh, to a shot of the feet uh, and the bottom of the legs of the Doctor and Clara walking into the gallery, and there's another two unit soldiers. Uh, and uh, the unique way the BBC is funded is basically the same two people. One of them's me. One of them is my other friend Marcus. Um, that are basically stood in the same scene twice. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, fun little thing and a a, a, a little um, added sort of extra bonus. Uh, my friend Marcus, who was. Um, the unit soldier with me and also he's with me in the scene in um uh oh what's the episode it's um uh, the one with the cybermen flying out of saint paul's cathedral sorry it's late uh uh 
Death in Heaven. Death in Heaven. So the uh, the scene where Missy is on the uh, aeroplane, there's two unit soldiers behind her that get vaporised eventually by Missy, and that is me and Marcus again. Uh, and Marcus is also in um, the Five-ish Doctors. He's one of the security guards trying to find uh, Colin, uh, Sylvester, and Peter when they uh, break into the BBC <laughs> studios. So there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of extra knowledge for um, people that. Uh, may not know. Oh, I don't know. Doctor Who fans, they're notorious for not caring about trivial information about Of course <laughs> they're not. They, they don't care about these sorts of things. <laughs> minutia. Yes. I love a bit of minutia. And a bit of meniscus as well. <laughs> sure. That's I that's mean, pretty uh, much you know. all I that's pretty much all I learned from school. <laughs> meniscus. <laughs> <laughs> meniscus is a great word. I, I try to use it very often. Um, yes. We had a bit of a meniscus problem in our moving van. This, uh, the, the surface of the water managed to find the surface of my couch and Ooh. soak it thoroughly. Yeah. So, and it always, um, it always makes me sound really clever when I mention meniscus because a lot of people uh, <laughs> don't know what it is. And I was is like, that in yes. Europe? Meniscus. That's the one thing I learned from school. <laughs> so I use it as much as possible. <laughs> Um, I'm kind of curious because we're talking about these roles. Um, when you've got roles, you've got you do a lot of roles where you're in the soldiers, and you do a lot of roles where you are in the costumes. Um, do they come to you when they need like um, someone to do those roles because you have so much experience, or do you actually have to audition to be uh, a, a costumed character? I don't know. I don't want to say creature because it's not always a creature, but like if yeah. you are a a costumed character where like we cannot see your face. Do you have to audition for that, or? Well, I, I hope obviously all my previous experience um, does help. But um, uh, yeah, it's you know it's a fickle business, the entertainment industry, and um, you know I hear many stories of of um, amazing uh, actors that kind of get passed over. But um, I've been very fortunate, and hopefully, you know, I'm good at what I do and um, as long as I stay off the pies and uh, and the ice cream <laughs> then I'll, I'll still squeeze into the soup. Uh, funny, funny enough it's just a leap to mind and a little bit of a segue obviously going into uh, what we're talking about but I heard a story from um, Brian Cranston that he uh, he did a lot of voice work, voiceover work mm-hmm. and um, his agent said to him, said oh um, someone's come to us for uh, uh, a commercial and um, they said that they uh, were looking for someone who sounds like Brian Cranston. And he's like, great, you know, put me forward. And apparently he didn't get the job. <laughs> so <laughs> Brian Cranston didn't sound like Brian Cranston enough. <laughs> so how did you first get involved with the show as an actor? Um, it would have been back in 2004. Four, late 2004 when uh, they were filming series 2 so um, uh, my agent sent uh, it's probably about 50 guys for an open audition not exactly knowing um, what it was for or what it was going to be and we spent a day with the uh, choreographer for Doctor Who Elsa Burke um, basically doing a lot of movement exercises, walking around with her eyes closed, marching up and down constantly. Um, and at the end of that day, we were then told that it was an audition to be the Cybermen in Doctor Who, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, and by the way, we could not tell anyone. So um, so that was great. And um, had the audition, went home, and I was just had my fingers crossed thinking, please, 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 I really want to do this. Um, had another call and then we had to go to all the people that were picked I think about 20 of us we had to go to Millennium Effects the company Neil Gordon's company that make all of the uh, or a lot of the monster costumes and creature costumes for Doctor Who try on the Cyberman costume if it fit us and if we were happy with it then then we got the gig um and uh yeah the, my first ever appearance was uh, rise of the cybermen um and more specifically the scene was 
um, <clears throat> one of the Cybus industry trucks pulls up and then uh, you see a shot of uh, feet marching down off the truck. So that was, um, yeah, my very first scene in Doctor Who. Is the Cyberman feet. Yeah. So you've done soldiers' feet and Cyberman feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do good footwork, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, you've been on Doctor Who both in person. Uh, uh, you've done it um, where we've seen your face. We, you've been in Doctor Who where you've had kind of like light makeup on, and you've been in the costumes like where we like heavy prosthetics, like the Cybermen, and so on. Um, how does that affect your ability to act? Like to to does that change in the cosmetics? Change the way? And is there a particular character that you portrayed that was particularly memorable to you? Aside from you know. First, first role on Doctor Who as a Cyberman—that's kind of amazing. But yeah, I think probably um, most of the challenges come from that you can't hear and you can't see very well. So you're trying to take your cues from actors' lines or movements. So not being able to hear or see uh, very well is quite tricky to actually do that. Um, uh, I know that uh, on some productions they do actually have um, earphones so you can actually hear the lines but um, unfortunately uh, we didn't actually uh, have any of that but um, yeah it was it was quite good I think probably one of the hardest things to do was actually stand still especially in the Cybermen costumes Um, you know if you're moving it's absolutely fine but um the cybermen weighed around about 60 pounds um and actually having that on your body as well as the um the force and the compression of everything pushing against you was pretty pretty tricky so um you know pretty much it's a shame there isn't there isn't a lot of um behind the scenes footage available but whenever we weren't doing uh stuff on set we were either pretty much sat down or led down trying to do as little as possible so we didn't generate a lot of heat or just trying to keep our body moving. So there's lots of, uh, uh, you know, sh- or there would have been lots of shots of side men kind of in various sort of uh, poses where we're sort of leaning to one side or sort of bending over and just kind of just wiggling our bodies backwards and forwards <laughs> just to keep subtle. Um and um yeah well, sorry what was the other question it was some uh, memorable thing that i did memorable roles and just like how does how does the fact that you know you go from some roles where we can see it's you to some makeup to full makeup uh where we don't we, we no longer recognize it as being you it's just you are the physical actor and how that affects the role and then yeah well the um it was always it it was quite nice actually not having my face seen um, because I'm a little bit less so now, but I've always been a bit, little bit self-conscious uh, uh, actually in photographs and, and on film. Uh, ironically enough, but then again, you know, many actors are very self-conscious. It's a, it's a kind of weird torture that uh, actors put themselves through because they are very self-conscious, but then they'll put themselves forward to some, you know, a medium that, that, will make you very conscious because people are looking at you all the time. Mm. Um, But um, Elsa uh, did a brilliant job of um, working out how to emote something through a a costume where you can't see people's faces. So um, she would, she would get the script and then obviously have an idea of what the costumes look like and then come up with the movements. So uh, one of the one of the ones that I remember, which um, I really did enjoy seeing on screen, was the vigil in the Rings of Akaton. So um, we kind of um, had a little uh, routine sorted out. So uh, we would uh, we would kind of appear as if by magic and then our heads would just sort of move like tilt to one side and then back up again and it if you watch if you watch that episode back it looks very very creepy um mm. but we rehearsed that by basically just um count uh doing a count of three so we would count one two three and the head would be tilted and then one two three 
and then the head will be uh, upright again. So that was uh, that was me, uh, my friend Matt and Claudio that did that. So we just spent a bit of time rehearsing it and making sure that we're all in sync because there's nothing uh, there's nothing less scary than uh, monsters that are out of time when they're doing <laughs> movements. <laughs> So you've been at this for, I guess, about 15 years now. So how has the costuming and your roles changed in that time? Um, well, I'll tell you what, I've got a list in front of me. So for people that don't know, I can actually go through everything that I've done. Um, so there was uh, the four Cybermen episodes, uh, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, Army of Ghosts, and Doomsday. Um, also, I played one of the uh, one of the ghosts as well. That was all done with us wearing black leotards, uh, walking around on a green screen, which was uh, pretty good fun. Um, and also a, a, a nice respite to obviously get out of that really heavy costume. My next appearance was Voyages of the Damned as one of the Heavenly Host, uh, which again was uh, great, and got to meet Kylie, which was fantastic. Um, Planet the Ood, where I was one of the Ood and the Natural Ood. Um, then the first time you see my face is the Sultaran Stratagem, where I'm an Atmos worker uh, in a corridor where two unit soldiers come up to the cloning room um and uh, and i get a line as well uh, which is fantastic um the the door to the cloning room opens and as the door opens i say it's open <laughs> stating the obvious but they gave me the line so i got to say it um then there was the the hath in the doctor's daughter the jadoon in stolen earth during his end the next doctor cyberman again uh, end of Time, Ood and a Hath, Beast Below, A Winder, Victory of the Daleks, I was the Orange Dalek Scientist. The Lodger episode, I was I was in that twice, actually. Um, I was uh, a goalkeeper on the Doctor's side, so I didn't actually have a lot to do. Uh, and also, <laughs> as well, uh, when the Doctor was in um, the call centre, I was, uh, you can briefly see me in the call centre, um, Pandorica opens, um, and I'm in there three times. Uh, I'm a Dalek, I'm the uh, infamous headless Cyberman, uh, and also there's a scene where Dorian is talking to River Song, um, and the opening shot, um, if you actually look in the background, there's a person at the bar with a, a bald head that looks like he's wearing a space uh a space suit uh which is me um <laughs> good man goes to war i was a cyber oh i was in there three times actually i was the cyber leader at the beginning i was the jadoon and also one of the clerics so that was three times um i'm gonna have to speed this up because there's so many episodes <laughs> <laughs> um i was one of the test selector workers in let's kill hitler um, I was a cleric in Closing Time. It was an extra little feature with Madame Kavorian and Riversong in the library. And I actually walk in with the astronaut's helmet and then we drug Riversong. It kind of, it was a little extra. It was like a DVD extra because it, I don't think the story ever explained how Riversong ended up in the astronaut's costume, but I'm guilty. Um... <laughs> The Wedding of River Song as a Marine, Asylum of the Daleks, Many Daleks, Bells of St. John, Unit Soldier, Rings of Acton Vigil, Name of the Doctor, Whisperman, Day of the Doctor, I was a Unit Soldier and a Dalek, Time of the Doctor, I was a Dalek, Deep Breath, Tunnel Droid, Death in Heaven, Unit Soldier, Last Christmas, Dream Crab Sleeper, Magician's Apprentice, Witch is Familiar, Daleks, Girl Who Dies, Maya Warrior, Zygon Inversion, I'm a Policeman, so you see my face again where the, uh, the doctor comes up to a police car and says, hello, I'm Dr. John Disco. And I'm giving him a good old stare. <laughs> Face the Raven, uh, a Jadoon, for literally half a second. Um, Husbands of River Song, um, I was in a full prosthetic. I think they, in inverted commas, called it Wolfman. Um, Return of Dr. Mysterio, um, I was one of the drones with half a head. The pilot episode, I was the uh, the Dalek and the head of the Dalek. 
Oxygen, was Space Corpse, Pyramids in the End of the World, Unit Soldier, Lie of the Land, Memory Police, and finally in Resolution, one of the soldiers shooting at the Dalek. That's impressive. Yeah. That's, that's quite a list. It is. I, I have to write it down because I can't remember it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with all these parts, uh, have you gotten a chance to keep any of the props that you've used? Like, Do you have like any personal mementos from from your time uh, well, in the costume obviously all of the props are owned by the bbc so i i haven't stolen anything um i have come away with possibly a, a couple of small scars from fiberglass in the daleks <laughs> um but what was actually quite nice was when we did the cyberman episodes uh, the guys at millennium effects actually had a a cast Cybus Industry Cyberman logo that they actually uh, gave to all the people that played the Cybermen. So uh, that was a really nice uh, little memento that we had, which was, uh, yeah, which is really nice of them. That's really cool. Yes. It's always nice to see them recognize that there's some nostalgia aspects of it. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, I did hear it. Who, right? uh, Yeah. I did hear a story that Patrick Stewart wanted to keep his uh, Picard costume, but they wouldn't let him have it. So uh, I don't feel that bad. You know, if they don't let him keep it, then eh, who am I? So, John, uh, not only are you an actor, but you're also an accomplished photographer. And I've also read that you were involved in shooting some music videos for Radiohead and Offspring. Sure. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, it was pretty much the same time that I started doing Doctor Who. I started working for um, a company in, in Bristol in the United Kingdom where I live, uh, shooting, um, yeah, music promos. And most of the um, music promos that we shot uh, were either stop motion animation or had some sort of animation in it. So, um, yeah, we shot a video for Radiohead uh, called There There from Hell to the Thief album. Uh, and more recently, Burn the Witch, um, which came out, I think, three years ago. Yeah. Um, who else more recently? Run the Jewels, Don't Get Captured. Uh, Father John Misty, Please Don't Die. Um, yeah, Offspring, I totally forgot about that, The Killers. <laughs> So yeah, so that was uh, that was quite good. We kind of, you know, the the all the money kind of evaporated out of the music industry. Um, so we kind of took a hiatus for about six years. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm just generally doing other bits and pieces uh, of uh, filming work and keeping you know many many balls being juggled. Um, I don't like I don't like being put in a box, and unfortunately, it's an industry where they love to put people in a box. They say, "Oh, well, you're this and you're that," so, but um, uh, I can't do it myself. I need to uh, I need to you know keep keep agile and uh, keep <laughs> learning. Absolutely, they put you in a box or they put you in a Dalek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, again, another story that I heard was um, uh, Ron Perlman after he did. Um, Beauty and the Beast. Um, he he struggled to get any work for about three years because they said, "Oh, well, we don't have any roles for someone in a costume." And he's like, "Well, no, I'm an actor." But again, you know, you have a big iconic role in uh, you know wearing a, wearing a, a a suit that you don't see your face, and um, people automatically kind of tick that sort of box, really. But um, but he he did he did well anyway, didn't he? So. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to keep uh, pushing forwards. <laughs> so let's roll it way back and uh, tell us when you first heard about Doctor Who. And and did you have a favorite classic Doctor or companion? Yeah, I can't exactly remember how I heard of Doctor Who because I was very young. But it, it would have been on Saturday nights in the UK. Um, and, you know... I, um, Tom's Doctor was the first um, experience I had a Doctor Who. I were I was I, theoretically I could have watched some of John Pertwee's episodes, so I'm showing my age now. But I don't actually remember any of them. But yeah, definitely Tom's episodes. Um, 
can vividly remember um, the Hand of Fear um, and Talons as well, um, and being uh, quite quite upset <laughs> as, a, as a young kid watching watching these but um but yeah no it was um yeah it was amazing so yeah i watched tom's episodes and then um i didn't even really realize about the regeneration thing until um tom regenerated into peter uh, and um yeah kind of kind of watched most of peter's episodes and then I think I was kind of at that age. I was around about 15, 16. And all of a sudden you, you feel like you need to grow up very quickly because you're like, well, I'm going to be leaving school soon and i got to be serious and sensible and go into the real world and be an adult. And so I kind of um, didn't at the time really watch any of Colin and Sylvester's episodes because, you know, when you're that age, you, you want to grow up really quickly. And then when you get into the real world all of a sudden you go oh is this actually it um so and then you kind of i guess you kind of then regress back into just doing and watching what you love really so did any of the doctors or companions particularly resonate with you yeah uh, definitely tom um because he was this um you know he, he was this kind of big confident guy and you as a small child you're like whoa check this guy out he's mm. he's got it all figured out hasn't he so <laughs> yeah that that was um that was uh really good to actually kind of uh experience or see see someone who has has this kind of confidence and and intelligence and knowledge um you know as a, yeah i guess as a kid you know it's a very good role model really um as regards to the companions um i don't know it's it's difficult to say really it's 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 quite interesting because i didn't watch classic doctor who for years and then all of a sudden um, when I started working on the show, I was like, I better go back and watch classic Doctor Who, and it is is half of it I can't even remember. There's there's like certain little points that um, I can actually remember from when I was a child, and then when I'm watching these episodes again, I'm like, I don't even remember that person in here, or I don't remember this uh, part of the story. But um, yeah, I, I like um, Sarah Jane was brilliant. Um, I really enjoyed uh, seeing her and and Layla as well. Um, yeah, I guess they were the kind of the companions that stuck in my head. How about the modern series? Um, any anyone particularly resonate with you? I mean, you're you you. It sounds like because uh, we we talk to actors and sometimes say, well, you know, we don't we don't watch the things that we do, but it sounds like you have you watch you get to see yourself. Um, in these episodes um yeah it's it's very strange and um watching an episode that you've been in and, and i i really quite understand why a lot of actors don't want to see themselves and i've heard andrew lincoln talking about he's never watched himself in the walking dead because he doesn't want to see himself and then adjust what he's doing so it, it kind of makes sense because if you're acting on stage you don't watch yourself you're in the moment right. you you know you're you're there so you know if you're a long run running character and everything is right and it feels right to you and then I guess if you start seeing yourself you're like oh do I do that do I look that way do I stand that way and yeah I can I can totally understand why um, some people wouldn't want to watch it, but um, yeah, the the strange thing is though is that um, what you see on screen in compare in comparison to what you've actually done are so vastly different um, because you spend so much time on set waiting, then all of a sudden you've got to do your scenes, um, and then you spend ages doing all these scenes, and then when you watch it on the screen, it might only be up there for a few seconds, or the seat, or what the scene or what you did actually might be cut so um to start with i kind of i was a little bit um a little bit disappointed because i was like oh, where's that scene gone and we spent ages rehearsing this 
all the side men walking in a line and you only see it for two seconds and then you kind of quickly realize that you you've kind of just got to take that out of your head and just understand that you know it's it's a television program they have to make decisions they have to make cuts you know you always shoot way more than what you need so um yeah so as long as as long as i pop up on screen i'm happy really for what time i have left i want to live in my own house i want to sleep in my own bed i don't want to choke down 30 or 40 pills every single day and lose my hair and lie around too tired to get up and so nauseated that I can't even move my head. You cleaning up after me. And me, what a, some, uh, some dead man, some artificially alive, just marking time. No, no. And that's how you would remember me. That's the worst part. So, that is my thought process, Skyler. I'm sorry. I choose not to do it. Well, uh, you know, we were talking about television. I want to shift shift the conversation a little bit. And whenever sure. we bring a guest on, it's going to be someone that we know through Doctor Who or through the fandom or on the show. But we also know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of an individual's fandom. So when we bring a guest on, we like to have them talk about something that isn't Doctor Who. So, John, why don't you tell us what show you have decided to talk to us about and uh, why you chose it. Yeah, the show that I'm going to talk about is uh, Breaking Bad. Kind of the reason for it is is that I I didn't stop start watching Breaking Bad until it had actually gone off the television. So um, in the early days, it wasn't very well heard of, and then during sort of season three and four, especially, um, there was like this huge buzz about it, but. Um, at the time, because it was only being shown on uh, the, you know, there wasn't any box sets, catch up type things actually on television at the time. So I, I kind of made a conscious decision not to watch it. And then when it finished, I was like, right, I'm going to sit down and actually physically buy the box set, um, sit down and uh, watch um, all the episodes. Um and that would have been oh, I don't know when it when it ended to 2013 I think so yeah 2013 2014 I, I watched it and um was absolutely just blown away by the uh, the storytelling and the acting which is the two most important things for for anything if if your if your uh, script isn't right and your casting is not right you you're pretty much doomed so um yeah, so that was amazing, and then um, that would have been what five five odd years ago, and uh, it was all on Netflix. So a couple of months back, I was like, right, you know what? I'm going to sit down and just watch Breaking Bad again um, with uh, slightly fresher eyes, and um, and again, it just yeah stands stands the test of time, and it's one of those things, especially working in the industry that um unfortunately you you do pick up on little things that aren't quite right very easily um but I, I do have to say watching all five series there wasn't really a single thing that I could actually fault with anything um you know story script acting you know even sometimes you you may even look at a shot and you go ooh they didn't really think about how they shot that so yeah it was it was yeah i just uh came on here just to talk about it because i think it's a it's a kind of master class on how you can actually create some 
uh, really, really brilliant long form storytelling, which now is is kind of the norm. Um, you know, with Netflix and Amazon, and especially long form storytelling, is um, I don't know. I guess kind of the new movies, really. Mm-hmm. And probably the strongest element of this show is its character development. Mm. Um, do you have a favorite character? And and I guess we could all answer this question too. Yeah, it's it is fascinating because. Y- you do see each character, you know, you watch the first two or three episodes, for example, and you're like, right, these are those characters. But the, you know, the first two or three episodes is probably an hour and a half, two hours, which is generally the entire length of a movie. So, you know, in the entire length of a movie, if they made Breaking Bad as a movie to explain the story, the pace that it would have to go would would just be ridiculous. And, um, you know, you see all the main characters at the beginning and you go, oh, right, these are those characters. Um, but obviously, as episodes and, and seasons go by, you basically just see how these characters will actually just, they, their personalities just adapt to this situation that they're in. Um, so obviously Walter White, um, at the beginning, he's kind of, you know, um, a downtrodden kind of husk of a man. And, uh, unfortunately through his pride and his ego, he just turns into a, a, a total psychopath. Um, but it, it, it's a nice kind of sway backwards and forwards that you're like, you hate him and love him at the same time. You know, you're mm-hmm. rooting for him and you're like, my God, this guy is such a dick. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. And it, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't really make any judgments Then you know, there's no sort of like, look at this person, look what they're doing is right. Or look what they're doing is wrong. It isn't. They're just, they're just people and people are flawed and they, are literally just dealing with the situation on hand. So one episode, um, you know, um, Hank, for example, he might be the bad guy, but then the next episode, he, he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really difficult because um, Vince Gilligan's writing is absolutely brilliant. And all of the characters in there are, are just so strong. Um I don't, I don't know. The thing is, I, I love comedy, and I always look for comedy and stuff. So I, I kind of have to say that Saul Goodman is the kind of obvious <laughs> choice because he does, he does have the best lines um, uh, uh, in the in the show. And um, yeah, you know, you you can't just help smile at him, even though he he's kind of a scumbag, really. <laughs> But in the whole grand scheme of things, he he is the least scumbaggy of the lot of them. <laughs> um, but um, God, yeah, there's there's so many amazing um, actors and uh, and performances in there. Uh, favorites of yourselves? Well, um, I was going to echo what you said about Walt and and really his character development over the entire five years. Um, and you said it exactly as I would have said it. I was also going to say Jesse because mm. he he starts out as an idiot and then he develops into somebody that's pretty proud of himself for finally accomplishing something, even though it was wrong. Yeah. And then when it gets to season three, I hated Jesse where he's <laughs> yeah. trying to push drugs on people like the convenience store clerk and the recovering addicts meeting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then by season five, he's pretty much the only character worth rooting for. Yeah. yeah, watching watching it recently as well. Um, I didn't pick up on it as much the first time, but it was, it it was literally like Jesse. Jesse was just trying to dig himself out of this hole, and then Walter's ego and selfishness literally is just keeps pushing Jesse back down again, and then and then Walter sort of smooths it over and kind of you know Walter obviously needs Jesse more than Jesse needs Walter and you just sort of see this it's quite uncomfortable the kind of push and pull where Walter 
you know, Jess is in need of help, or and Walter's like, right, well, this doesn't help my situation. It, it's all about right. me. Um, and then obviously Jesse goes off the rails again, and then obviously then Walter, you, you know, you can kind of tell that to heart he is a good guy, and then he will help Jesse again. But then his ego gets in in the way, and it's um, yeah, it's that their relationship was actually really um sometimes quite uncomfortable um to watch the same the same with um skylar um the relationship with walter and skylar it was it it was it was kind of like a the the classic push and pull between men and women you know some episodes literally walter was just scurrying around just trying to please skylar and you know do the right thing for her and then you'd have another episode where he would have the upper hand and she was, she was sort of the downtrodden wife and, you know, he was the alpha male. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a great, um, roller coaster of, you know, the way that all the characters are interacted with each other. Mm -hmm. Drew. I'm going to deflect this question. So I'm not showing off how little (laughs) episodes I've watched. No, um, you're going to take the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is one of those programs that I always wanted. I, I was like always meant to sit and binge, and uh, I, I haven't done so. I still haven't done so. Um, I would have loved to have been able to be as uh, knowledgeable about this program as you guys. So I filled in all my gaps. Uh, I, I sadly have spoiled the entirety of the five <laughs> seasons uh, via Wikipedia synopses. Um, but I will say this. The the very first episode I saw, I came over to a friend's house and they're like, "Sorry, we'll, we'll be done in just a moment. We're just we're just watching the last fifteen minutes of this." So I sat down and I watched Walter White uh, walk into a home while someone was uh, overdosing, um, right. and watching him do nothing, uh, sitting for for that incredibly uncomfortable five minutes of that scene. That yeah. is my introduction to Breaking Bad, <laughs> and went, "Wow." This is a far cry from the dad from Malcolm and that's, in the Middle. That's when you really start to see just how manipulative he is. Yeah, yeah and that's what it, that that can, is, that's what it sounds that like. Later. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and the worst thing about it, he let Jessica Jones die in that scene. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, was the thing. It was, it's I, she wasn't Jessica Jones by that time. No, uh, no, no. no she was but, like shortly thereafter. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that, was a, that was a powerful and incredible scene. You know, like, yeah. And like... And, and I guess you just jumping into that scene, obviously, have, have no knowledge that, in fact, probably what Walter's doing is actually saving Jess's life by letting this happen. But mm-hmm. obviously, if you just wander into a room, you're like, my God, this guy's a psychopath. He's a monster. <laughs> he's, a, he's a monster. He is the danger. <laughs> I want to talk about, um, you've touched on this a little bit, but you know, shows like Breaking Bad... Uh, and weeds uh, will take these situations where your kind of main protagonist who you're sort of rooting for in the very first couple of episodes are becoming people that we shouldn't be rooting for in general. I mean, you know, they're not even anti-heroes. Mm. And this is, um, these shows are kind of on the forefront of this sort of theme. Um, I, I can think of things like House of Cards and Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, Ozark where, as well. Ozark's yeah, Ozark, got a yeah. really so like, similar sort of strain as, as Breaking Bad to, you, you You know, it's every man that's just stumbled into a situation and they're just doing whatever they can just to manage this um, this craziness that's going on with their lives. So why do you think it is that we as audience members tune into a show where we don't necessarily like the people we're rooting for or we're not rooting for the people that we're watching or you know what is why why isn't anything happy happening why why (laughs) why are these shows so popular i think probably it's because it's um an ordinary person in a extraordinary situation and you can relate to that you know I guess we're all fairly ordinary, but there's a sliding scale, I guess. <laughs> but you know, you you would look at it and you would like, oh my god, you could relate to it. You're like, yeah, this could easily happen to me. And how would how would I be able to manage it? How would I be able to navigate my way around these uh, crazy situations? So, I think I think that's kind of 
what is compelling and there yeah there is no right or wrong people are just people are doing what they are doing um in that situation at the time and um you know it's it's kind of very i guess similar to how life works really instead of you know you watching something oh you got the good the good people this side the bad people that side and um you know you root for one or the other it's like you're just seeing all these people just trying to trying to negotiate their their way through um craziness <laughs> th- the other thing as well that i i loved about it is um the 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 kind of the pre-credits the pre-credit scenes were just these um and especially the the first the very first episode before the credits come up um you you see a pair of uh pair of pants as you call them in the states sort of <laughs> flying through the air and then uh then uh this rv driving around with a guy in his in his underpants with a gas mask on and a couple of people unconscious in the back um and then they crash and then the credits come up and you just go what the hell is going on here <laughs> you know it it just it just grabbed you immediately um so and also it, it's also not you know it's that kind of whole left turn thing you know you get you, you go right, yeah, I've got it now. I've, I've, I've got what's going on. Then all of a sudden, there's a left turn, and you're like, oh god, no, it's gone down this route now, hasn't it? And um, yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's making the, it's, it's, you know, it's not leading the audience to the obvious, um, which is good. But you know, it's all, it's all testament to um, uh, uh, an amazing writer or amazing writers who, um, who write these stories. Uh, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Uh, Better Call Saul. Yes. Have you seen that? I have. I watched the first... See, this is one I'm going to have to go and revisit. Because I watched the first two episodes as soon as they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they there wasn't... Did, it, did they come out immediately on Netflix? Was that one of Netflix's first things? I'm, or was I'm it not on sure. network. I I can't remember, but um, yeah. Immediately after I watched all of Breaking Bad, I was like, "Oh yeah, Better Call Saul," which which I absolutely loved, and it it was it yeah, it was very painful because you 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 know where all these characters ended up, and then mm. you're like you're watching their story, thinking, "Oh my," and, you know, you know where they're going to end, which is in a bad place. And yeah. you almost want to go, no, just don't do it. Don't don't go down that route. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch it because there's, is there four seasons now? Yeah. I did I did like Saul's brother, um, you know, with uh, with his tinfoil hat on and <laughs> all of that, all of that sort of stuff. That was, um, yeah, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, but again, it was it was just his relationship with his brother as well was just like it kind of just bounced backwards and forwards from you thinking like Saul's such a douchebag, and then um, and then and then he tries to get his act back in order, but he can't help but slip back into his old ways, and and then his brother's you know just just a dick as well. <laughs> uh yeah that was great but um um but yeah drew um you will have to sit down and binge watch all of breaking bad it's the law i i know i know uh i i intend to there's three shows that if i tell you that i like including breaking bad if i tell you what they are that i haven't seen a single episode everyone usually gasps in terror it's like you've never watched the west wing you've never watched the wire you've never watched breaking bad i'm a failure as a television <laughs> watcher i'm sorry oh, was that I, was that your three was it those are my three i just don't yeah. have my fingers on the pulse of of modern television well I, you know? I got i got two out of three so i've never watched an episode of the west wing um but i have yeah i have watched the wire the whole lot twice i think and again, that was um, I would have loved to talk about the wire, but I haven't because I haven't seen it. It's very difficult to kind of reference it uh, 
because I haven't seen it recently. Right. But again, that's another another really really brilliant piece of writing and and acting from from everyone in there. So yeah, um, but yeah, so I've I've got to do the West Wing, and you've got to do the the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's, eventually someone's going to come on the show and go, oh, no, yeah, we're doing The Wire. You've got to watch all of it. Uh, yeah. and, and that's fine. And then, you know what? I'll worry about that when we have a different guest. But for right now, I want to thank you for being our guest on, on this program. Thanks for oh. joining us to talk about your time on Doctor Who and television and Breaking Bad. Yeah, well, thank you for having uh, having me on. And uh, even though, yeah, there's a bit of a time difference, so it's twenty <laughs> to one in the morning, um, so but it's it's a very calm twenty to one. Um, exactly twenty four hours, um, I was awoken by a, a huge thunderstorm um, that kind of just worked its way all the way through the country, um, and I literally woke up and um, there was so much lightning. I felt like I was in the scene in Poltergeist. Mm. Um, it, it, it literally, there was probably, I would probably say about six, six flashes of lightning every 10 seconds that went on what? for about 10 minutes. Yeah. If you, wow. if you go to my Facebook page, I've put two videos up there. There's one. Oh, video. I saw those. They're amazing. Yeah. There's one video of, of literally just filming out the front of the street and it's literally just, it, it looks like a strobe light going on and off. Um, and there was a continuous rumble of thunder. It was very, very low. But it was just, it almost sounded like somebody um, rolling their carry-on luggage down the street. Um, so we, I think we must have been right in the middle of the storm. And then as the storm moved off, then I shot a load of slow motion stuff as well that I've, that I've stuck up. And it, yeah, it was just... Yeah, it was phenomenal. Never, never, uh, never seen anything like it in my life. Really, um, I assume that that Facebook footage was sped up over a long period of time. That's no, well, no. The the one, literally, the one in the street where it looked like there was some god was switching the the lights on and off <laughs> very quickly with a light switch to sort his OCD out. That's just just what it was. It was, um, yeah, it's crazy. Was in the eye of the storm, and it was you could feel you could literally feel it in the air as well. The the whole air and the ozone around you was just yeah nuts. So um, yeah, so it's so it's uh, yeah a bit of a bit of a calm evening. Is and it's actually very warm in Britain, which is quite a rarity. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's good. I've just been on just been on holiday for four days down to uh, Newquay in Cornwall, um, which was very nice. So um, yeah, nicely relaxed and and I know that I've got some work to do, but it's very difficult to kind of get motivated after you've kind of just had a break and went off and just kind of done nothing. So yeah. Well, before get... you get to your work, if people wanted to find you online. Uh, yes. where could they find you or if you wanted to plug something that you're working on uh... hmm. so um, I've got a website which does need updating it's very out of date and uh, I need to get onto that and I've been saying that for two years so this is my <laughs> social contract to everyone I'm updating my website so I can uh, I can't go back on that it's uh, johndavy.com which is j-o-n-d-a-v-e-y.com uh, and on social media, it's at John Davy zero zero seven across all social media. Well, there you go. Well, thank you again, John, for joining us for our episode. And uh, thank you for having me on. And thank you for listening to Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom, stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to PixelWho for providing our logo. They can be found at Facebook.com slash PixelWho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on Patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Yeah, Mr. White! Yes, science! Have an A1 day. Mom, you, um, 
forgot to say it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. There's Daddy! It's Big Daddy! Oh. Say hello to your daughter. Oh, uh... Ollie, I am very proud of you. And, uh, I think about you all the time. <laughs> wherever you go, whatever you do in life, um, always know that you have a family who loves you very, very much. <laughs>